Everybody saw Anna Nicole like this too. And look at her now. Make me beautiful duets. I don't want to be called a gold digger because I'm not. I'm not a gold digger. I could have married him a week after we met. I did. I went out and I made something of myself. I'm Daniela Screma. And I'm Brooke Fisher. And welcome to the first episode of Broads Next Door. The life and death of Anna Nicole Smith. On February 8th, 2007, a 911 call is made. This is Seminole Police. If you could please respond to the Hard Rock Room 607. It's going to be in reference to a white female. She's not breathing and she's not responsive. She's actually Anna Nicole Smith. Name dropped even as she lay dying on the floor of her suite at the Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Seminole, Florida. On the floor of the same hotel where just two years earlier she'd hosted the Trim Spa Million Dollar Makeover. Cooing for the camera, Trim Spa baby, wearing a gold dress that matched that white seven-year inch Marilyn Monroe inspired one she'd worn 14 years earlier when she was awarded the title of Playmate of the Year. Cameras filmed her driving off the Playboy Mansion grounds in her new convertible, waving. The look on her face said, the world is mine. She gave the cameraman that signature wink once more. Back in 2007, at Regional Hospital, Anna Nicole is pronounced dead on arrival. Helicopters swarm above, and in the weeks to follow, a photo of her face, stiff and blue, will circulate online. Anna Nicole Smith, who had always wanted to be just like Marilyn Monroe, had died in just the same way. Marilyn gone at 36, Anna at 39, draped in blonde and white bed sheets, surrounded by pills. Even in death, there was no peace for them. Tribute reels rolled in for Anna Nicole, and still, somehow, no joke was off-limit. And Anna was used to being a joke. Sometimes she was in on that joke. Like with her e-reality TV series, or when she was spending time with her friends. And sometimes she couldn't escape from the joke. Like with her marriage to octogenarian standard oil heir, J. Howard Marshall, and all of the lawsuits that came after his death. How did this beautiful blonde, this hilarious bombshell, become a late night laugh? Couldn't Anna once again be our guest girl, the woman plastered on dorm room walls across the country, all curves and red fingernails? For a minute, it even seemed like she was supposed to be our darling once more. Until then, she wasn't. She was just gone. The most beautiful woman in the world doesn't even make it to 40. Fans are left reeling, 
conspiracies are swirling. Could these prescription medications be more addictive than we initially thought? Are we complicit somehow? Do we contribute to the buildup and the downfall just by tuning in? How could this happen? Why did this happen? Before we can answer why Anna Nicole died, or even why we care so much about this years later, let's go back and find out why we cared so much about the way she lived. Let's go back to the late 1960s. The summer of love has just ended. War is still raging in Vietnam. There are civil rights marches throughout the country. And people are really talking about making the Equal Rights Amendment a reality. America is on the cusp of complete change or complete collapse, depending on who you ask. But we're not going to Washington, D.C. or escaping to the Haight-Ashbury district of San Francisco. We're going to Houston, Texas, where a baby named Vicki Lynn has just been born. People always ask me what I think about Texas. Well, I love Texas, but it looks a whole lot better in my rearview mirror. So before Anna Nicole Smith was the Anna Nicole that we know, she was Vicki Lynn Hogan, born on November 28th, 1967 in Houston, Texas. She didn't really connect with her family. Her mom was a cop and her dad was in and out of her life. Yes. Her dad was in and out of her life. And when he was in her life, it wasn't good. She was abused from an early age by like family, friends, and relatives. And it was time for her to leave. So she went to live with her aunt in Mejia, Texas. Okay. When she was 17, she enrolled in school and then felt pretty uncomfortable there. She didn't connect with anyone. She felt kind of dumb and and she got bullied a bit. So when she was a sophomore in high school, she dropped out and she began working at a place called Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken. You can still see the menu for Jim's Crispy Fried Chicken online and I highly recommend looking it up. It sounds delicious. And she actually really liked working there. She worked there for a few years, but that's where she met Billy Smith. She fell head over heels with him. He was a cook there and they got married. And then within like a year, they had, they had Daniel, but unfortunately she and Billy didn't really work out. They broke up and she's like, what do I do? I have no money. I have a kid and I have no help. So she moves back to Houston. So Anna works at Walmart. She works at Red Lobster and it's still not enough for her and her child. Since when are Cheddar Bay Biscuits not enough to sustain a toddler? One day when she's driving down the strip, she sees a flashing neon sign with a girl with big boobs and a bikini. Mm -hmm. And she's like, I need to go into there. And she was called to it and she applied for a job. And she looked really different when she first started stripping. She was very flat-chested, actually. I would say she was like an A or B cup. She was kind of growing into her sexuality. In 1990, she got breast implants. And did she get those breast implants in Houston? 
Houston. Oh, yeah. You know, breast implants were actually also invented in Houston. And this whole thing, it's it's kind of messed up. All right. This is actually pretty dark, but I am going to tell you a brief history of breast implants. Seven years before Anna and Nicole is even born in Houston, Texas, two doctors from Baylor University, Dr. Cronin and Dr. Jerome, are working in a hospital. And up until this point, all of the medication and fluids have been kept in glass containers, which must have really sucked. Recently, all of the medications and fluids were in these type of plastic bags which were actually sacks made out of silicone. And Dr. Giroux is transporting two sacks of blood one day for a patient, one in each hand. Must have been a long walk because he's really feeling these things. And he has an aha moment. They feel just like boobs. Dude is totally thrilled runs over to Dr. Cronin. He's like, I've done it. I figured it out. Squeeze one of these. And they go to their colleagues. They say, we have something that is bigger than the space program. We have something that is bigger than the heart transplant. We have silicone breast implants. The reason this is such a huge deal is because by 1960, They've been trying to put stuff into breasts for like 200 years. The first breast augmentation surgery, they used a lipoma, which is like a benign fatty tumor from a woman's thigh and put it into her breast where she had volume loss. After that, things just get worse. They get really obsessed with sponges for a while, which just cause infection. They try glass balls, which surprise putting a glass ball in a boob. The glass is going to break eventually. During World War II, sex workers tried injecting silicone directly into their breasts and they So doctors knew that that caused infection. That could kill you. The body knew it was just such a foreign material. It would immediately try and reject it or form scar tissue around it. Really horrible and disfiguring. In the early 1960s, there's no requirements for testing medical devices. And any kind of implant is considered a medical device. Breast implants actually will be grandfathered in in the 70s, so they will subvert this law for a long time. To be safe, Dr. Cronin and Dr. Giroux do decide that they will give breast implants to a dog. Her name was Esmeralda. If you're watching the video version of this, you can see a sketch we've put in that's blurred out for her protection. I truly have no idea where they found this dog. I don't know if it was a medical testing situation. I don't know if she was a rescue. 
the way I picture it, honestly, the way these guys talk, I feel like they were drunk at a cocktail party and saw a cocker spaniel underneath a coffee table and were like, that bitch would look good with tits. But I have no proof that that actually happened. That we know is- that's what happened. We know that that is literally what happened. Speculation. Speculation. So two weeks go by, and Esmeralda is not enjoying her full D cup. She starts chewing at those sutures, and they do remove the implants. But they're like, hey, she didn't die. She's fine. A bitch is a bitch. And they decide it's time to proceed with human beings. It's 1961 now, and around this time, a woman named Timmy Jean Lindsay comes into the hospital. And she's interested in getting a tattoo removed from her chest. She has this rose tattoo, and she's a mother of six, and it's just not doing it for her anymore. And Dr. Jarreau's eyes light up, because Dr. Jarreau claims the reason he wants to do breast implants is to help women who have had children and lost breast volume. I don't believe him. But he tells Timmy Jean Lindsay, you know, we'll remove your tattoo and we can help you regain that volume you've lost after breastfeeding six kids. How about some implants? We'll do it all at once. She she doesn't really want it, but She says, yeah. She asks if they can pin her ears back, too, because that bothers her, which they do. And she is really, really happy with her results. And she is the first person to receive silicone implants. Now, there are still a lot of debates about how this affected her health. There are a lot of debates still about silicone implants, And we're going to go more into that later. We're also going to talk about breast implant illness, which is something that I learned a lot about while researching the history of breast augmentation. Unfortunately, that is all we know about Esmeralda, but I hope she is thriving and is... In her 50s now. We'll circle back to that. We hope Esmeralda had a really, really wonderful life. Queen of the dog park. That's like Absolutely. my best case scenario. Best case scenario. Poor girl. Right. Well, I hope that breast implants helped Esmeralda like they helped Anna Nicole because they absolutely changed her life. When she got the breast implants, in 1990, she also dyed her hair blonde. She looks different than a lot of women at the time. The early 90s were a lot of waif-like, very skinny girls. And then you have this tall, curvy Amazon. Yeah, and this is when the heroin chic look is like really huge. And Kate Moss is everywhere. There's a lot of dark circled eyes and very bony women. Here comes in this woman, six foot tall, five inch heels she looked like an amazon woman and she was making thousands of dollars easily after anna gets her breast implants she feels complete so dyed her hair like bleach blonde and started using a baby voice kind of like Marilyn. she really Mm -hmm. wanted to feel like a vixen like that she looked up to because she really looked up to Marilyn. 
I want to be the sex symbol. I want to be what she was. Uh, I want to do the movie she did. I want to sing. I want to dance. She definitely uses that Marilyn awestruck, I can't believe anything around me voice. It's very sweet. Absolutely. And that was intentional. And mm -hmm. the owner of Rick said that she, once she started using the baby voice with the blonde hair, it, it, it all came at once. Uh -huh. And she was unstoppable. She started making thousands of dollars, but she didn't fully love being a dancer. She loved being like sexual and, and power and feeling powerful, but she didn't fully love dancing. When I was driving to work, I looked down and saw all this money in my, and I was like, wow. Do you know what the main song was that she danced to? You know her song? What is yeah. it? Yeah. Lady in Red. Oh, that's amazing. Lady in red. Which is perfect for dancing her. with me. I cannot even imagine stripping to that song. How? 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 No. Absolutely. I loved that song as a child, though. So. Well, yes, it's a great song. And I like knowing that because Anna Nicole has inspired me so much with red nails and red lipstick like she is like one of my biggest I know like she kind of took that from old Hollywood uh -huh. but I love her the like you know kind of trashy factor to it it's mm -hmm. amazing so I can picture her dancing to that song because of those details but that's great I did not know that that was her song I actually think that was the song she was dancing to when she met a, oh, I don't want to skip ahead. Well, we'll I'll skip ahead a little bit for you okay. then. Um, so Anna finally meets J. Howard Marshall in 1991. So J. Howard Marshall was a billionaire oil tycoon, which I know most people know about him. He was but a billionaire with a B? With a B. Whoa. Oh, yeah. He mainly made his money from oil. And he was married to a woman named Betty for like 20 years. That was his second wife, but she developed Alzheimer's disease and he was lonely because she was not fully there, even though she was there physically. Mm -hmm. So he met this one dancer named Lady Walker and he courted her and she agreed to hang out with him, but they didn't, she didn't want it to be sexual. And that Lady Walker thing went on for like a decade. That Literally was a, long... a decade. And he was a bit younger then. I don't, yeah. I don't think he was like in a wheelchair at that point. No, no, he wasn't. Yeah, because right. they would actually do stuff together. He was still exactly. mobile. It is very sad because then within a few months, right? The same year Lady Walker dies during plastic surgery and his wife also dies. I think his wife dies first, right? She dies while getting a facelift and his wife died. So J. Howard Marshall, when he walk, actually rolls in and sees Anna, he is just like enamored by her. He's like, she's a goddess and he's lonely. He doesn't have a wife. He doesn't have, you know, his other companion. So he immediately asks Anna out for lunch and they go to lunch together and he proposes to her after a week. She says, no, I want to make a name for myself. And he says, okay, I understand that. And then he gives her an envelope of cash and gives her enough money to like quit. 
And she does quit. She immediately quits dancing. They hang out. He buys her stuff, but they're not exclusive because Miss Anna Nicole is a non-monogamous gal. She had many boyfriends and girlfriends at the time that she had met J. Howard Marshall. In particular, she was very seriously dating a woman named Sandy Pallage, who she had met at a gay bar. And they were even living together. But all while this was happening, Anna and Jay Howard still had a relation. Anna pursued her heavily. She literally showed up to her house in a limo with flowers. And where does Anna get this limo flower money from? So Anna had a lot of money from Jay Howard and her mm-hmm. other suitors. So she was living with Sandy, but Anna also couldn't fully give her everything. She also had many other boyfriends and she still had this relationship with Jay Howard. So mm-hmm. he still gave Anna a lot of love and attention and gifts. He didn't necessarily like give her a lot of cash all the time, but he bought her house. He bought her horses. He paid for her breast revision surgery. He helped her out with Daniel. So they had I would, what I like to call an emotional and transactional relationship. Has she posed for Playboy yet at this point or no? In 1992, she is with one of her other boyfriends and she sees an ad in the paper for Playboy magazine to be a playmate. Yes. And Anna gets her boyfriend to send in photos of her and maybe even just like two weeks later playboy calls her and they say we need you right now and she shoots for playboy and is um, immediately everyone's like who is that girl mm-hmm. and paul marciano of guests calls playboy and sets up a meeting right away and that is how anna became the face of guests. He's the one who said before the campaign launched, he said, Vicki Lynn Hogan is not, not cutting it name wise. And together they came up with the name Anna Nicole Smith. And that's really what made Anna a household name was the guest campaign. I remember the guest jeans campaign. You remember it? Oh yeah, I do. I remember. Tell me, what was the impact like when it came out? Ad campaigns were a really, really big deal back then. They could make a brand, especially when combined with the right face. This is also when we start to see celebrities on the cover of magazines more than models. And then that kind of starts to blur. If you're a model on a magazine, then you kind of are a celebrity. So that's a kind of cool, fun thing in the early 90s. That's amazing. She had the guest jeans ad campaign, which was huge, simultaneously (laughs) with the H&M campaign, Mm -hmm. which was an international topic because it was causing accidents in Sweden. Oh, wow. Which is where H&M is based from. That's from a bi- having a billboard? There were huge billboards of Anna in lingerie, like, you know, like black garter belt type stuff. And they, 
it was causing accidents. So worldwide, it was, like everyone was affected by it. It was huge. And-, and Anna did look so different. They would always point out how tall she was. They often said how much she weighed. And at first, this was something that was very celebrated. And I was very aware of that. Even as a child, I loved that. I wanted to see more of that. I wanted to hear more of that. I wasn't sure why, but I wanted it. At this point, I think I would like to um, introduce Anna Nicole Smith, our 1993 Lady of the Year, a very special lady of which we are very, very appropriately proud. In 1993, Playboy names her Playmate of the Year. And she's finally getting her, like, Marilyn moment. She's literally dressed as Marilyn. She's wearing that seven-year itch, white, halter-style dress. Being presented the Playmate of the Year award by Hugh Hefner, who has purchased the plot next to Marilyn Monroe's tomb so he can be next to her for eternity. Exactly. All right. So what makes her finally decide to marry him? They've been dating for four years at this point. I mean, she was on the cover of Playboy. She was Playmate of the Year. She was in international campaigns with guests in H&M. And she was ready to go. She wants to feel established before they're betrothed. Does she just call, call him up and be like, hey, babe, so you're 89 now. I don't know how many good years we have left. Should we should we do this? Should we go? Hey, sugar pumpkin. He said that he proposed to her repeatedly and she would say no. He probably did it again and she said yes. And his health was not at the best, I think. He was like in a wheelchair and stuff, you know. Yes, the same wheelchair he was in when they met. Um, yeah, I'm just saying the whole time his health wasn't the best. Mm -hmm. but he knew what he was signing up for that's my opinion on the the whole matter is he had had I think he knew what he was signing up I think that they had a transactional relationship and I don't think it's like much different than like some like sex work in today's times like I think he knew what he was getting out of that relationship and she knew what she was getting out of It sounds like he was getting nothing out of the relationship, except she would lay with him in bed sometimes, which is something, but I mean, it's not billion dollars. I don't understand. Forget about the damn age. He saved my life and I saved his life. He took me out of a terrible place and he cares for me and my son. They get married in Texas. It was like the White Dove Chapel, right? Yes. Yes, White Dove Chapel sounds right. It was like a Vegas-style package wedding where they paid $1,000 and everything was included. I read an interview with the owner of the chapel in the Texas Herald, and she said that Anna Nicole walked in and was like, I just want you to know I'm not marrying him for his money. And the woman was like, ma'am, I have no idea who you are. So they're married. Do they go on a honeymoon? Apparently Anna left J. Howard Marshall the night and he was crying and sad. She really doesn't sound like she was a great wife to me. She does seem like a darling wife after he dies when she carries the picture around. Cigarette? 
Yes, I know. Do you remember on the Anna Nicole show, it's one of the first episodes, and she's like, my husband's gonna come home soon. I don't know why I'm making her sound so much like Michael Jackson, and I apologize, but, and she's referencing his ashes, Oh yeah, she like cries. I just watched that one. It's a uh -huh. whole ordeal. And then it ends with her just putting him on top of the TV. And she's like, there's my baby can watch over yeah. me. And I'm like, oh my God. And my husband's here with me. On top of the television. My house didn't become a home until I brought my husband over. What is she doing in the year between when they get married and then 14 months later when he dies? I don't know. She definitely spent most of her time during their marriage, I think, in California. And that really bit her in the tribes. They kept trying to say like, oh, where were you during this date? And she was like, oh, I was on a modeling gig. I was here. And she was really all over the place. She wasn't in Houston all the time with him. Like, it's awesome that she's establishing herself and continuing to pursue her own stuff. I feel like she could have been around a bit more. I mean, she had to be able to look at the guy and be like, so we got like one good summer left. She just seemed very absent. And unfortunately, that does hurt her later on modeling and stuff so she's spending half her time in california she starts filming and she is a naked gun 33 and one third she's in the cohen brothers hudsucker proxy she filmed those prior to him dying and then they released like after he died or around when he died so she was it is true that she was leaving Houston to go and do modeling gigs to act in movies mm -hmm. because it was only 1994 at the time 1992 is when Playboy put her on the map she was starring and doing and filming all of these things all over tv interviews stuff like that so she was busy for sure you know, what did I do what did I ever do but you know this is also around the first time she overdoses was she married already when that happened when did that happen right before so in february she's hospitalized for three days mm -hmm. she collapses in beverly hills and then june 27th 1994 that's when anna marries jay howard so she overdosed right before him maybe that was her wake-up call was her first overdose she's like i'm gonna get my life together and get married what do we think would have happened with anna nicole if she didn't marry jay howard i think her life would have been very very different for the better if she didn't marry him absolutely if she should not have married him absolutely i agree Seriously, I remember being so horrified by it as a child because she looked like this beautiful movie star who could do anything in the world and instead she's marrying death. Literally death. Like, yeah. Just just an age spot. I'm sure he was fine. I don't know. I've never seen like something of him talking. He I've never seen him talk. I agree with yeah, that. I've never seen that man talk. He's just like, I know. He's just kind of smiling. He kind of looks like a uh, baby Sinclair from Dinosaurs a little bit. Like, yeah. And even in like the video footage that they do show of him and Anna, 
Zero words. Never has no, he talked. You, no. No. He was very funny. Really funny. He got um, very brilliant. Um, very smart. Gosh, he had so many stories. Then he died, so he was definitely sick for quite a few months. So they've been married for 14 months, and he dies. And because Anna is very low-key and chill, she wears her wedding dress to the funeral, and she sings Wind Beneath My Wings. To their, their funeral. Because they had to have two separate funerals. Pierce Marshall got half of his father's ashes, and then she got the other half of Jay Howard, and they had separate. Why does Pierce funerals. Marshall get anything? I don't know. Like, what bad blood happened with his like birth son, where he was written out of the will? Two weeks after they get married, power of attorney goes to his son, and Anna Nicole is immediately cut out from any legit financial agreements exactly they go to court and it's i promise me once we're married you know half of everything is mine they go to court and that's when she hires howard k stern so would she have been as talked about probably not without jay howard she was made fun of before that, though. They really did build her up. She's so curvy. She's so beautiful. She's the next Marilyn Monroe. And then they used all of that to tear her down pretty, pretty quickly. I think I'm a gold digger. Even just the amount of attention she was getting, the famous and infamous line, it starts to blur really quickly. She's on all those shows every night. There's still, we'll get into all the backlash that still exists against Playboy and anything that can be considered pornography. She came out with like a bunch of action movies, low budget ones, like uh -huh. in 95, 96. I think she was trying to step away from the sexy bimbo. Then in 1996, she declares bankruptcy. She's lost so much money at this point and she was used to spending it's set up to $25,000 a day so financially she's really in trouble absolutely you know, I was thrown into all these legal battles and all these legal affairs and you know I had people suing me from here and there and and um I just got so overwhelmed and you know I'm this one little girl I'm this one little person and I've got 50 things thrown at me and I'm like Unfortunately, I do think a lot of the respect that people have for Anna Nicole came after her death. I think there was a lot of collective guilt, kind of, as a society. How much did we contribute to that? How much are we still contributing to that kind of stuff? She's a sex machine. She'll probably have it. She picked up married to that 90-year-old billionaire. It's funny because there's so much to her life, and then I really couldn't find that many books about her. I have Trainwreck, and that came out in, like, 2004, though, when she was still alive, and it's so seedy. I mean, the book is called Trainwreck. It portrays her in a completely horrible light, that she's just a complete user that she takes advantage of everybody and then moves on really really drives home that she makes everyone get tattoos of her that was like a huge well, recurring theme is that it she is she does do that 
<laughs> she does do that. She does get like everyone to get a tattoo of her. She told uh, all the family that she wanted everybody to have a tattoo of her put on their body. And if they loved her, they would do that. And I said, Vicki, your mother loves you with all her heart, but there is no way I'm going to have a tattoo put on my body. Sandy, her girlfriend, of, for a while has a tattoo of her. Then her one assistant with the purple hair gets an Anna Nicole tattoo of her. Mm -hmm. I mean, she, not wrong about that. I didn't read the book, but. So yeah, that was a big plot point in the book is that she made everyone get tattoos of her and then would just totally like abandon them. They were branded oh and she's like, you have Anna Nicole Mark. And then she's, oh my God. she's gone. So after Anna has her breast revision surgery and goes bigger in size, she complains of back pain more often. And once again, her use of medication increases. So the breast implant lawsuits start pretty much as soon as breast implants themselves. Women in the 70s and 80s also claim to be getting sick. They'll go to their doctors and say, I don't feel well breast implants will rupture, they'll be they'll be replaced over and over again and doctors really aren't believing that they can someone could be sick from silicone even if it did end up leaking. Same case with saline implants. So there are a lot of breast implant lawsuits and in 1992 silicone implants are taken off the market. When did they become popularized though? So she was the first one, but I feel like the nineties is when I became aware of, I mean, I was alive then, but like when I look at pictures of like models or some actresses, that's when I really see more of like the, the fake boob vibe. Breast implants do continue to grow in popularity through the seventies and the eighties, but the nineties is really the, the era of breast implants we've never gone back to as big of a size as there was in the 90s even though breast augmentation is still the number one surgery and even more people are getting breast implants now than then size wise we've never gone back to where we were around the time Anna Nicole gets her breast revision where she goes really really big that time around instead of denying that she had any work done she was so open about her breast implants someone asked her Anna can I have your boobs she said no but you can have my surgeon's number so it was very a different attitude even from the first time Anna got implants to when she had her breast revision surgery Baywatch was on television Playboy was huge, even though there was the conservative backlash to it. That image being out there, it was just out there. The blonde, the Pamela Anderson, Jenny McCarthy, that that look was really just happening in the 90s. One of my big sources for my breast implant research was a documentary called Explant, which was actually about getting breast implants removed, but they went through the history of how they were created as well. And another source was a book called Breasts, The Natural and Unnatural History. 
something that kept coming up a lot was the male gaze. So we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that a little bit more. And then another thing that keeps projecting the popularity of breasts throughout the 90s is the internet happens. So that's huge. That's huge for porn. That's God, that is so big for porn. And all of that changes mainstream culture that all trickles down into how ordinary people look and see themselves and then we have the early 2000s girls next door is on tv the newlyweds the simple life it's really a different era i did not like a lot of that while it was happening a lot of that bummed me out in real time like i could not watch the simple life I've said the Anna Nicole show, I felt like she was being really exploited. That's stuff I was able to watch later on, but being a teenager in my early 20s at that time, I always loved the girls next door. I I think they got it, but I think having the internet for sure changed how we all saw ourselves and the images that were accessible to us. Oh my god, thank god. And then before I know it was on the internet, just like, hey. Did you always have the internet? Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember being a little kid and like not going on the internet, but we had always had a computer. Yeah, I did not get the internet until I was a freshman in high school, right before my freshman year started, fall of 1999. That's crazy. No, I was on So you had, like, pay phones in your high school and, like, beepers and stuff? Beepers were popular when I was in middle school. I never had one, but I had a car before I had a cell phone. It's really a fun time to think back on because I felt so empowered and so completely untethered and unhinged because I was a 16-year-old girl. <laughs> that, that's so crazy. I yeah. love that. See, our age difference is like perfect, I think, because it gives oh, us more to talk about. I actually do think the years that I was in high school were more forgiving body-wise than when you were in high school, because I was in school from 1999 to 2003, and you graduated in, what, like 2009, and everyone was super, super skinny. When I started school, like, Britney Spears was super, super popular, Jennifer Lopez, who are all still very, very skinny people, but the look is a little bit softer. We did have those super low-rise jeans, which I wore, like, Jinko style. Um, And I was also, like, deeply influenced by riot girl culture already at that point. That was my takeaway from the early and mid-90s as soon as I went through puberty and discovered that kind of music. It was very girls to the front from there. And then people did just start to get tinier and tinier and tinier and the idea of changing yourself just became more and more mainstream. You don't remember when The Swan was on, do you? 
No, yes, I do. I watched the crap out of the swan. Yeah. How old were you in that? Very movie? young. I don't I remember the year. Like but I remember watching school. it. Yeah. I saw it. my parents were watching it like disgusted. And I was like, what is this? Holy crap. And one of the doctors was Terry Dubrow, right? From yep. the Real Housewives. Yeah. Real Housewives of Orange County. Yeah. 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 Crazy. And then people are always like, oh, you could never have a show like The Swan now. You could never have bridal plasty now. I think that you could. I think that more people could go on it. And I think it could like also be a dating game where people got plastic surgery together and had to decide how much they loved each other from their nose jobs alone before ever meeting in person. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. That was before Instagram filters. Even now, I can look in the mirror and be like, I'm having a great day. I'm so content with where I am with myself and my appearance and mind-body connection. And then I get on Instagram and I'll casually use a filter that I saw someone else use for the colors. And then it completely transforms my face. Then I see my regular face again and I'm like, I hate my face. Mm -hmm. So I am so so grateful that that did not exist when I was in high school. MySpace was huge mm -hmm. and Facebook. I was super into MySpace. Like could, I was like coding, doing stuff I could never do now because of MySpace. And then Instagram was like when I was like a sophomore, I think, or junior in college. I knew how to Photoshop myself in high school, but I would really just like, I would make myself longer. So I would post like a photo of myself and then just make my legs like six feet tall and be like, no one's going to notice. Yeah. Oh my or God, just cut with the contrast so high yes. that I didn't have a nose anymore. Mm -hmm. And I was like, that was my Photoshopping was the yeah, contrast. I look, I look so good. Just amp up that contrast was very different and there was nothing like that there was a live journal but you mainly wrote in that it's where I made a lot of my friends it's on live journal oh, your screen name uh apathy overdose was my long term and then I went to but Daniela said and okay. I had that into like aim stop Wait, these are like fine mine are embarrassing <laughs> Uh, apathy overdose was yeah but hard. most people's are like exo butterfly my first was x baby doll 85 dsx okay. that was my very first okay. one gotcha the oh there was a k in there too for kurt cobain my first screen name is was bj love because of billy joe from green day and <laughs> later on googled what does the bj mean I don't know what my life would have been like if I had Google as a child. Mm -hmm. I can't even imagine. Mm. I literally can't. I would either be a genius or I'd be dead. No middle ground. Right. <laughs> I would be president of the world or RIP. Yeah. There's like a part of Anna Nicole's life we haven't talked about yet. Yeah, a lot of. I am going to be talking really intensely about diet culture for the next four minutes or so if you want to skip ahead. For those of you who are too young to remember the 90s and the early 2000s, 
diet culture was super, super intense. I would say much worse than it is now. Weight loss was really praised and weight gain was really openly shamed. There was constantly an infomercial or commercial on television for either a weight loss pill or a workout plan or a workout machine. I know a lot of this still exists, of course, but this stuff hit a little bit differently. So instead of like these diet teas that were going around and like the 2010s got really popular. In the 1990s, they learned that there are worse things than shitting yourself. Like having actual heart attacks, which happened a ton when a medication called Fenfen was prescribed. You did need a prescription for that, and that was banned. There was a lot of over-the-counter stuff, too. There was this stuff called Stacker 2s. Oh, there was this stuff in a blue bottle that celebrities always got photographed with, like Snooki and Britney Spears. I'll have to check what that was. I've tried all of them. By 2003, ephedra is banned. And that was the last one I think you could really feel... That gets replaced with, I believe it's pronounced Hoodia. And around this time, Anna Nicole Smith is also acquired by a company called Trimspa to be their spokesperson. And the Anna Nicole show was on at this time. People are asking Anna Nicole about her weight constantly. She's really being shamed for her weight publicly. And she's a very tall woman. I mean, it's just hearing the things that people said to her now, I'm not even going to repeat any of it because it's just ridiculous and so awful. But Anna Nicole becomes the spokesperson for Trim Spa. She is also in the Kanye West video for New Workout Plan. And there are a ton of before and after pictures for her. She starts doing ads for the newly opened Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino in Florida. Anna was really publicly praised for her weight loss, even though she was clearly unwell. All of the appearances, I would say, the last year of her life, she does not look great. When I woke up in the hospital with a coma, um, that kind of got me scared. Because, you know, I had to learn how to do a lot of things over, you know, like walk, talk. I mean, it was real bad. So I didn't know if I was going to be able to have the strength to do that on my own with my husband gone. See, I was still going through mourning. I don't know anything about Larry Burkhead or how she gets pregnant, even. I do. Try and tell me. So she meets Larry Burkhead at an event. He's a photographer. And she literally just, like, grabs him and starts making out with him. 
And then a few weeks later, he moves in with her. They get, well, she gets pregnant. Mm-hmm. And then she like ghosts him basically and goes to the Bahamas with Howard K. Stern, her best friend, lawyer. And Larry Burkhead is saying he is the father. She gets married to Howard K. Stern on September 28th, 2006. That was an attempt to just try and sweep, you know, Larry Burkhead under the rug. She gives birth to Danny Lynn September 7th, 2006. Wait, wait, wait. She marries Howard K. Stern after Daniel dies. She gives birth to Danny Lynn September 7th, 2006. September 10th, 2006, three days later, Daniel dies. September 26, 2006, Howard K. Stern says he's the dad publicly. And September 28th, two days after that, Howard K. Stern and Anna Nicole get married. And I had nobody. I had my son and you can't just dump all this on your child. Anna wakes up in her hospital bed with Daniel beside her and he's stiff. Most tragic thing ever. He got up and got in bed with her and then passed away next to her. Daniel was Anna's everything. She had him when she was so young and most people agree she never really recovers from his death. From that point forward, It's really downhill. It's really dark for her. It should be this beautiful time where who cares who the father is if she gets to be the mom of this beautiful baby and instead she's burying her her firstborn. Oh, just, just... And conspiracy theories, theories in general, everything is just circulating. There's speculation he died on her medication. She was taking some really, really strong meds. I think it's called hydroxychloride. The same stuff that killed Marilyn Monroe. I don't even know how things like that are prescribed anymore or were still prescribed in 2007. The surprise death tonight of Anna Nicole Smith, just 39 years old. What happened? All right, let's do the part that sucks. Let's talk a little bit. We should talk a little bit about Anna's stuff. Absolutely. I used to be obsessed with these two dudes who built railroads henry plant and henry flagler on the east and gulf coast of florida respectively and i had read that the reasons they did this were to cure their wives from hysteria and different diseases with the warm weather so i like to imagine that howard k stern had something similar in mind for Anna Nicole when they ended up at the Seminole Hard Rock Hotel and Casino. Anna's in Florida with Howard K. Stern, her bodyguard, her psychiatrist, and her bodyguard's wife, 
who is an ER nurse. Anna is unwell emotionally, physically. She's not doing well. They should have already left the Hard Rock Hotel at this point, but Anna is running a 105 degree fever. So instead of going to the hospital, they extend their stay. On February 8th, around 1245, the wife of the bodyguard, who is an ER nurse, realizes that Anna is unresponsive. And she calls her husband. She doesn't call 911. She calls her husband, who doesn't call 911. He calls Howard K. Stern, who also does not call 911. He calls Anna's doctor. And by that time, the bodyguard gets to the hotel and sees Anna, sees Howard K. Stern hysterical. He calls the front desk, who calls uh, the police, who call 911. And uh, over an hour has gone by at this point. Uh, The bodyguard performs CPR until the ambulance got there Anna is taken to Regional Memorial Hospital she is pronounced dead on arrival and her death is a huge spectacle it's not even all in a nice way I feel like Even the research I was doing, it was really sad to see how many people instantly made jokes. There was definitely the sadness and the guilt, but it was shocking to see the initial amount of jokes made. Gossip in 2007 was pretty vicious. There was TMZ, there was Oh No They Didn't, which was a live journal community. Perez Hilton going all out. And that was that was kind of new. Camera phones were pretty new. We'd only had that for a couple of years. Smartphones were new. Uh, some of us had Blackberries. iPhones came out that year. But getting information like that and then also being able to comment online, it created... There was no Twitter yet. It was... It was a different atmosphere. There was a lot of anonymity still, but it was dark. And there are beautiful tributes that go up about Anna Nicole as well. I feel like it's important to focus on those too. I love what Courtney Love said about her. I highly recommend looking up Margaret Cho's story or song about the night she kissed Anna Nicole Smith and how Anna tasted like pickles and American myth. It's wonderful. On the Anna Nicole show, there are moments where you can really see her personality shine through and how smart she was and that she's obviously in on the joke a lot of the times. When I was younger, I really felt bad for her sometimes where I shouldn't have because 
she she got it more than I did. Absolutely. She I think people forget that she actually never even received any money from she was in her court systems and in lawsuits throughout her whole entire life. She was called a gold digger, but she actually didn't really receive any anything. So the money that she did have was because of her celebrity and her being a model. And she did have, you know, some men like help her pay for things in the beginning. She became a legendary model on her own accord. The things that are reposted about Anna are mostly like the most relatable quotes of all time from the Anna Nicole Smith show. And I look at the Anna Nicole Smith show as like, kind of, you know, in hindsight, we're like, wow, she was surrounded by these people that let her just take drugs and exploit her. And it is that it is absolutely that. But then there are these moments where she is just so funny and cool and nice. And I always love thinking back to her winning playmate of the year. And she's driving away in this convertible and she winks at the cameraman. And I love remembering her that way. She has a beautiful daughter who is 16 now. Danny Lynn looks so much like her. And it was really great to learn the fun stuff about Anna that I didn't know before. She grew up with nothing. She, I mean, she grew up in poverty. And to have money and, and success, I would love it too. I'd want diamonds. I'd want, I'd want to do all of those things. And she wanted to be like Marilyn Monroe. And she, when she won Playmate of the Year, you can tell that she's living her actual dream. Like she's like, I've made it. I think that is a great place for us to leave off with Anna Nicole Smith. I am sure we will talk about her again in the future. If you'd like to hear more about her now, please head over to our Patreon. We have recorded, we have several recordings up and lots of videos and bonus footage. Follow us there. Thank you for listening. I'm Brooke Fisher. And I'm Daniela Screma. Thank you for listening. She was in the Hudsucker Proxy. That's a Coen Brothers movie with Paul Newman. She didn't play Lady Macbeth, but Hudsucker Proxy is a pretty good little movie. Wow.